You're listening to Riverview Church Conversations, a podcast for the spiritually curious. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Riverview Conversations podcast that is now officially one year old. Happy birthday, everybody. Happy birthday, Reese. Thank you. And to you, Ryan. Ah, what a time. And of course, just want to clarify, it's not Reese's actual birthday or my actual birthday. But today, the Riverview Church Conversations podcast has turned one year old. Give or take a week or two. One years old? One year old. One year old. It's like New Year's Eve. Like, no, it's the New Year Eve. That's very true. Wow, wow. you wrecked that for me. <laughs> anyway, happy birthday, Reese. Can you believe it has been a year of conversations podcast? I think I can. When I look back at the number, the sheer volume of podcasts we've produced, mm. it seems like a lot mm. in a short space of time. Yeah, well, we've done 29 episodes. I don't wow. know how many hours worth of recording. 29 episodes with, with many, many guests. And mm. we've covered a... Uh, quite a large range of different topics. And we've had a lot of fun along the way. Yes, we have. And uh, I think it was just a good opportunity for us just to say a big thank you to everyone who has been listening over the last 12 mm. months. This podcast started um, off as, you know, a bit of a, a hit, hit and hope. Hit and hope. Yeah. See, <laughs> see what would happen. I mean, we, we began this in the... Um, kind of right in the middle of COVID. In the bowels of COVID. In the bowels of COVID. And uh, you know what? It's become a pretty amazing journey that we've been on and uh, we've been able to have some amazing conversations, many yet still to have. Mm. Uh, of course, many conversations we haven't been able to have in the, the first year, but we've had a, a great time. And so big thank you to everyone who's come on the journey with us, whether you've been here since show number one when wow. we were figuring it all out or uh, you've uh, joined us halfway through while well, you've got some listening to do. Yes, you do. And But that being said, it's always a question mark in my mind. When I when I stumble across a great podcast, do mm. I go back to episode one? Because episode one might not be so good. It might not be as good you wanna, as... Yeah, you want to yeah, yeah. get somewhere in the middle, you know, where they've hit their stride. So mm, maybe go to episode 15 or something. We're like a fine wine, yes, Reese. Just better getting better as we go. Yes. Yeah, and lazier. But that's... Oh, that too. <laughs> I must admit, I feel the pressure more now that we've got a few under our belt. I'm like, oh, it's got to be good. Yeah, and Can't I think be average. I think part of that pressure also comes from the fact that we, we actually do have some consistent listeners and uh, it's been pretty amazing to actually see people jump on board, people from all over the world yeah. as well. Listening Thank in. you to the, what is it, 28 or 22% who yeah. are non-Australian listeners. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how they understand what we're saying half the time. Well, but, that's true. But well done for coming on the journey. I, I think over the last year, we've had over 20,000 downloads wow. uh, on the different podcasts. And um, that's not to, to boast or anything, but simply to say it's been such an amazing journey. And uh, for us to be able to have these conversations and actually have people come with us for the conversations. Uh, you know, these aren't things recent and I are just doing for the sake of doing a podcast. These are like real life conversations. Almost having a podcast is kind of almost turning to a, into a bit of a meme. Yeah. Is that now? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, I see kind of jokes pop up online about how people have started a podcast. Mm. and uh, But nevertheless, like we probably wouldn't do it if it was just us doing it, you know? Mm. Like I think we genuinely want to explore the topics that we are in, mm. in t- today or whether it was six months ago, that's kind of no exception. You know, the, mm. the fire still burns within me in terms of questions of our tradition and faith life and all that type of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I think even when we began, really the heart behind doing this podcast was to just facilitate a space for us to have – 
real and great conversations um, about stuff that really matters. And, you know, the wonderful thing is over the last year, I think we've done that. And uh, over the coming years, we're going to continue to do that. And so um, we've got some amazing stuff lined up. We won't go into all of that today. We've also got, look, there's rumors, Reese. There is rumors. And I'm not going to, you know, maybe I'll, by saying it, I'll put the pressure on. There are rumors that we'll actually uh, look at launching a pilot of a Riverview Kids podcast. Look, who's starting these rumors? I don't know who's starting Who these rumors. Who is the dirty, rotten, <laughs> so-and-so? No. The, no. I, I think the rumors are there's an, there is an, a nugget of truth within yeah. those rumors. Yeah. A part of that as well came from, a, I guess, a heart to see discipleship and, and faith conversations happen for young people. And we're aware that there's actually not a huge amount of resource out there that helps equip children to um, have, you know, good midweek discipleship touch points. Not going to be with you and I, Reese, but it'll be with people <laughs> who have a bit more kid-friendly voices. Look, I'm really, I'm deeply passionate about having no yelling in the car Yeah, when I'm hooning about with the kids. <laughs> so whatever it takes, I'll I'll happily be part of a podcast if it keeps the children from yelling in my ear in the car. So Would, would this suffice? Hi, kids. My name is Ryan. And today, it'll be something like that. Have you ever wondered? Yeah. You know, yeah, those, we'll, those type of big questions. Yeah, that's you right. Know? Anyway, uh, we will. Uh, you'll find out more about that as we progress and as we kind of do a bit of a, a test run. But you know what? One year. It's been a good time. Happy birthday, Reese. And to you. Happy birthday to you. Uh, 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 uh. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah. <laughs> that was the- Okay. Well, there's no rest for us today on our birthday. We are Evidently diving. not. No, 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 no. You don't take the day off when it's your birthday. Oh, I wish. In fact, you work harder because you're a year older. And so today, uh, that is the case. We are diving into yet another big conversation. What are we talking about today, Reese? Well, listen, I woke up this morning and the front page of the news, if, you're, uh, if you follow the news in Australia, you, might, you probably would be up to speed with the, the case of uh, the gentleman who... Um, has just been sentenced to 10 months prison for outraging public decency. That's his charge. Mm. He was the, the the driver of a car who had been pulled over on the side of the freeway mm. for speeding. And whilst he was pulled over, a truck plowed into the back of his car and the police cars and four police officers were mm. tragically killed. Mm. And what this guy did, who was evidently having some life problems, he went and filmed the the deceased and subsequently uh, the dying officers and kind of taunted them and and put it online. And so the, the, the big news this morning in Australia was uh, people are outraged at the leniency of this, this driver's sentence. Mm. And so I woke up with that thought this morning and it's kind of almost serendipitous because uh, the, the topic that we're wanting to talk about today is justice and judgment mm. and all things around that. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we, as part of our Christian tradition, mm. you know, there's a lot of talk about justice yeah. and judgment yeah. Yeah. and what those two things are. And they're two pretty fraught topics. Mm. And and often it's hard to know kind of how to make head or tail of it. Mm. You know? I feel like there's so much there as well. Like there, there's so much that we want to talk about to do with this. The I guess the biblical perspective of justice and what does that look like? Also then, how does justice and judgment work in a societal sense? Like, mm literally with the, the need for laws and, and, and for justice around the, some of those laws. But then, like, I have a big question and I'm, I'm interested in diving into the conversation to uh, the, the nature of mercy and justice and how do those two things link together? Because I feel like 
yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot there. There's mm. a lot there, and so I'm I'm super excited to to dive into this. I mean, it's going to be a, a a deep dive of mm. the conversation, and we know that we're not gonna we're not gonna cover all the ground. In fact, this might be one of those ones that we do need to circle back around to yeah, at maybe. some point. Mm. Um, who are we who are we talking to? So today? I guess today is a a very old friend of mine who I went to high school with. I grew up uh, through church youth group with and uh, his name is Richard Jensen. Did he know you when you had a full head of hair? He did actually. He did. (laughs) He knew me when I was a bit of a rat bag. Um, He's seen me at my best and my worst. Uh, Yes. So uh, our guest today is Richard Jensen and he's a crown prosecutor and um, senior partner at a law firm in New Zealand. Mm. And so uh, the first on, on the face of it, you would say that he uh, his day job is putting away the bad guys, sending them away yeah, to the well, big house. Yeah. But um, he's 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 a man of deep faith and conviction, and mm. we thought he would be the perfect person to talk about um, all things to do with justice and judgment and what that looks like for us as Christians. Well, Ryan, we've got a special guest with us today, an old friend of mine. His name is Richard Jensen. Richard, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Reese. Hi, Ryan. Good to be joining you here from uh, Tauranga in New Zealand. What a place. Mm. What a place. Now, Now, you're going to share with us some of the goss on Reese Mayshell. We've had uh, Pastor Brian Harris a couple of times on the podcast who was aware of Reese as a young man. Richard, tell me what he was like. (laughs) I was aware of Reese as a very young man. I've been thinking about it a bit uh, in preparation for this. Where to I've start? Known Reese. <laughs> I've known Reese for well over, well over twenty years, and my first memories of Reese uh, we were at high school together, and we were in the school concert band together. And I still, some would say memory, some would say trauma of getting <laughs> kicked in the back by the the evil tenor saxophone player behind me, one year older. Um, but yeah, then we went on to better things. We toured China together, which was a fairly fairly dramatic, and then um, yeah, had some time together at uh, Hillsborough Baptist many years ago in Auckland. So yeah, it's um, it's quite cool, really, to think having been friends for all these years. Here we are having a a bit of a chat. Thousands of miles apart. Look, there you go. Like sorry, I, I just commented that. Look, I, to get some I feel like I had to keep you honest. You know, like in high school, there's a pecking order, and I was just one rung above. So no, but look at us now. The roles are reversed. Richard, you are you are a high flying crown prosecutor in New Zealand, putting the bad guys in the big house. And look at me, I'm just a podcast host. Who did, but you who are hosting him. So oh, this is uh, true. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so Richard, like you said, you're a crown prosecutor. How does walk us through? How does a, a young Christian man find themselves putting away the bad guys? Yeah, I mean that's um, that's quite a quite a good question. I guess as as many people would find in their own careers and their own journeys, it's sort of a a path where I've kind of found myself there. I started out um, after law school doing. Uh, kind of corporate commercial litigation, which was mainly disputes between large companies arguing over money. Um, and I did that about for about three and a half years. And that gave me a bit of grounding in the law and uh, and how disputes work and things. Um, but I was looking for something else to do. I'd heard prosecutors uh, speak at different conferences and what have you, and I'd always found it interesting. Um, and an opportunity came to move to Tauranga uh, to to take up a job as a Crown Prosecutor. 
Um, so I just gave it a gave it a go. Really, I thought you know I'm relatively early in my career. Or this might be interesting, and it's just one of those things that that kind of stuck. Um, I've always liked a bit of bit of an argument. Um, I find people <laughs> interesting. I like telling stories. I like public speaking. I was bullied at high school by the tennis saxophone <laughs> player, so I've always wow. had a desire for justice. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, and it. It's just one of those things where you you get into a role and um, you find you you enjoy it, you find it fulfilling. Um, so yeah, I've been been doing that for around um, ten years now, um, and it's quite it's quite challenging work. Um, you're dealing with people um, who are sort of at at the the lowest ebb. Um, I mean, we deal a lot with victims, so you're dealing with people who are often coming to court to talk about probably the worst thing that's ever happened to them um, and often quite personal things. Um, and then obviously this, the stakes are pretty high and um, for defendants you see people who um, because of their life circumstance or choices that they've made or really a bit of both um, are, are sort of at the mercy of, of the justice system. So um, I find it Endlessly fascinating. Every case is different. Um, you see a whole range of different um, human emotions and human experiences. And I think it's that human side that sort of engages my faith quite a lot. Um, and, and thinking, you know, you know, how, how is the situation work out? Um, where is God in this? Is God in this? Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I feel very privileged to do the work um, and to do, do such interesting work. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of how I, I ended up um, getting to do what I get to do. Yeah, it's great, man. I, I've often found myself thinking, I wonder what style you are in the courtroom. Because obviously, like, if, if we think about, like, depictions of courtrooms and, and like, the legal profession, it's kind of, it's like Jim Garrison and JFK or it's uh, Tom Cruise in A Few Good Men, those types of things. Where, where would you place yourself along the pop culture uh, legal spectrum? Or are you more like a Denny Crane or a, uh, or a Mike Ross type person? Mike Ross. Um, I can only go on what I'm told um, by other people who watch me. I sort of, I'm a bit of a chameleon. Um, I think part of, Part of a role of, as an advocate is to obviously engage the person who's having to make the decision, um, be that a judge or a, a jury. Um, so you're sort of always trying to to, to pitch things, um, and I guess you don't want to you don't want to overstate overstate things. Um, but I certainly, and uh, I guess what I've been told in terms of when defendants are giving evidence and cross examination, that's um, I guess when I'm uh, probably on my game, that's the the part of the trial that I guess everyone gets on the edge of their seat. Um, so so that's a, an opportunity where I'm probably a bit more aggressive and, and into people and, and holding people to account. Um, I guess if you uh, if you enjoy enjoy arguing with people and, and catching people out and that sort of thing, it um, can be relatively enjoyable. But I mean, it is it is also a significant part of of being an advocate is to to make it engaging, make it interesting, um, so that the 
the jury or the fact finder has got the full picture of of what's what the case is about and, and who these people are and what's gone on. It's it's um, interesting. They, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, because because ultimately that's what it, that's what it's all about helping helping the people who are making the decisions understand what the whole thing's about so they can make the best decision. That's a really interesting way of describing it because I think most of us, the the average person probably has an understanding that um, justice maybe equals punishment. And so that the, the, the justice system, as it were, is geared towards punishing people. Um, and that even crown prosecutors like yourself, you're, you're aiming to dole out justice slash punishment but the way that you're talking about it as being an advocate almost for people who um, maybe are seeking justice or have had terrible things happening that have happened to them that's i find that an interesting distinction Mm. yeah richard could you almost because i'm so aware that even the term justice right you know we've all got so many things that come along with that term whether it's things uh perceptions of biblical justice or societal justice and laws and whatever could you almost just help us define that in terms of the conversation we're having what are, what are we talking about when we talk about justice yeah i mean i i, I don't really have a, a dictionary definition of but when i think about justice uh, to me it's about putting things right um and i think that helps us understand that I think justice is part of everything that we do and part of our whole lives. Um, and it can be the littlest thing from your two kids arguing over a toy or and who broke something uh, through to the biggest things like, you know, terrible crimes and that sort of thing. Um, and that's what I guess justice is about for me is um, the process we go through as people and trying to put things right um, that are wrong. And they can be big things, little things, you know, injustices that happened five minutes ago because, um, you know, you stole you stole the last chip or, <laughs> you know, some injustices have gone on for hundreds, thousands of years and uh, sort of almost systemic in our whole societies. And we're, we're in the middle and we're caught up with dealing with them and trying to correct them and, and what we're doing. Um, so it's not a... It's not a dictionary definition, but I think if we're talking about justice and we're talking about how justice engages our faith, I think if we think of it about, well, there's things that are broken in the world um, and I think God's in the business of putting them right and we're sort of caught up in God's God's efforts, God's story and trying to, to restore things and make them right. And that that I think is what justice is all about. The question for me is, as a Christian, kind of as a participant in society that essentially buys into our systems at work and the justice system, I suppose, how do, how do I, or, and how do you, how, how do we as Christians abide a system that locks people up, yet we serve a God who supposedly sets captives free? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a question that I grapple with um, kind of all the time in in my work and I think I think it's a what you've talked about in terms of sort of the criminal justice system which has that kind of punishment focus I think it actually echoes a lot of what kind of drives the human quest for justice and there's almost this natural human impulse to well I'm going to get you back 
I'm going to punish you. And I think we all we all do it um, when when people upset us or wrong us. Oh, I'll get you back or do that. And it's then actually trying to step into, oh, well, actually, that's probably not the best way to, to deal with that. Um, but that does, I mean, for my, in my work, that creates a lot of tension. And I think that's particularly the case in New Zealand. I mean, I had another look at the, the numbers um, just because it's always cheery of a Wednesday evening to see how many people are imprisoned in your country. Uh, but I mean, in New Zealand, we're at, 188 people per 100,000. Um, so that's sort of roughly 10,000 people. Um, but that's actually double what it was 20 years ago. Um, our prisons are 93% full. So we're continuing to imprison people. We're not getting any better at that. But the research and what we know shows us that actually imprisoning people doesn't help them get better, it doesn't help them stop offending. I um, mean, prison does have, there's a obviously a public safety dimension to prison as well, which I think is, I guess, a bit separate from what we're talking about. But I guess prison doesn't help people get better. But I think as well, if we go back to our own lives and our own understanding of people, actually punishing people and lashing out and hurting people doesn't help a situation either. Yeah. I can, um, I can immediately think of situations that, right now in my own life where I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that scenario, that, that thing that I'm holding on to, really, it's not doing, they're either oblivious to it or at its worst, it's not doing them any good and it's certainly not doing me any good to kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not, there's no making things right in that situation, you know. Mm. It's a bit of a bummer. Yeah, yeah. But I guess it, what I find challenging personally and what I have to be honest about is that, you know, I, I work in a system that I don't, I don't necessarily agree with everything about the system. Um, and there's a tension there. There's a tension with, obviously, with my faith. There's a tension with my own understandings of what works and that sort of thing. Um, but it is, again, privileged work that I feel uh, a kind of vocation, a calling, if you want to use that word, to be in. So I think that's that's just sort of part of it, really, and that's part of, I guess what we talked about that that long view of justice that maybe part of that is sometimes working in broken systems and it's not about just getting cynical and saying oh stuff this it's okay there's parts of this that I don't like but we're going to keep working at it every case we're going to try and get the best outcome that we can and then hopefully over time you know the the big project is sort of God's work that overarches everything that we do Mm. I, I'm not really sure of the question I'm about to ask, but I want to go on a bit of a, a journey and and I guess begin to get your thoughts and your perspectives on some of the biblical visions of justice. Um, because as you kind of just said, and I think it's a really um, good definition of it, it's it, justice is almost about helping make things right. I guess the question that it, it is attached to that is is who defines what's right and I guess that's probably part of the the challenge then in in like you said these systems that maybe are set up to do right by some, but not maybe as right by other people. And so I guess I wanted to talk mm. a little bit about the the biblical vision of justice, and um, also the way that that relates to um, things like mercy 
Uh, you know, there's, there's passages of scripture that talk about how how ultimately I, I believe in the kingdom of God. Mercy triumphs over judgment and justice. And, and so I'm just familiar with so much of like church language, right, is about me not getting what I deserved because if justice came to me, what did I deserve? Well, I didn't deserve life. I deserved death because of sin and brokenness. And so rather than receiving justice, I received mercy. But then, you know, part of the, <laughs> the call of being a faithful follower of Jesus is to help bring God's justice to the world. But that's not about people getting what they deserve, but about getting them, you know, far beyond that. So I guess I wanted to just talk a little bit about um, and get your thoughts and your perspectives on the biblical visions of justice and how that relates to mercy. And I mean, there's, there's about 14 questions in there, so I'll, I'll let you <laughs> pick, pick, a lane, out, yeah. pick out some of those as you go. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I think in a lot of ways we talk about, um, well, I, I put it out there as, a, well, justice is about making things right. And almost the beauty of that definition is how hopeless it is because so much of that is contested. Um, and so much of it is unclear and needs working out and understanding and, and give and take. And I think when you look at the Bible, the, the the visions we have of what justice is and who decides is actually really diverse. Um, and I think we can see that in that um, on a lot of these sort of issues around justice and how to deal with people. Um, I mean, people from all different edges of the, the spectrum, the political spectrum, the conservative liberal spectrum, they can point to something in the Bible to justify a view. Um, and I don't know if it's an issue that you've had in Australia, but we had, uh, it was a few years ago now, an issue around uh, what was called anti-smacking, which was basically a law to prevent physical discipline of children. Um, and the that law was a response to the appalling rate of child abuse that we have in New Zealand, unfortunately. But what I find interesting as I reflect on that is actually the main people coming out in favour of wanting to hit their children were Christians, and they were relying on, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child, and those those verses. So I, that everyone has a different view on those things and on child discipline. So I'm not trying to open up that can of worms, but I think it shows that you can have different views and there's a diversity of views in the Bible. Um, and of course you've got, you know, you've got Psalms and things which talk about that, that desire, that impulse to punish. Like there's that, there's that beautiful Psalm about, you know, may you dash the infants upon the rocks. Um, wow. Mm. Uplifting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get the spirit I haven't heard that one. Are you going to turn that one into a song, Reese? Well, I could do. Why not? <laughs> Uh, and then you've obviously got all the laws, the Old Testament laws, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, a lot of um, structure and things. You've got harsh punishments being meted out. Um, I guess there's an argument at least that, well, you know, the flood, it's a pretty harsh harsh imposition of a punishment and justice on, on people. Um, and but it's not just in the Old Testament. I mean, in the New Testament, you've got this um, the story of Ananias and Sapphira from Acts, where they're the ones who who bring the offering to the disciples, and they've actually just kept a bit for themselves, and they get struck down dead. 
And everyone was like, well, probably shouldn't have done that. Look what happened to you. <laughs> um, and that then, I mean, there's a tension there as well. What that passage talking about is that, you know, is that how people understand, still understood how justice was working? So I guess there's that that kind of legalistic, um, retributive um, kind of vision of justice, which is, I think, really part of the reality that the Bible is an ancient text and it's, on the one hand, it's inspired and it's wisdom, but on the other hand, it is very human and it speaks to us of the human experience and the human engagement with God. Can I can I just ask then, in in light of what yeah. you kind of just said and unpacked, is is part of the goal of justice? And I don't even know if that's a the right phrasing, but is part of the goal to do with then like human flourishing and actually seeing the best vision for humanity? Because even as you mentioned, things like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, Jesus rolls up and 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 the the actual rule has almost changed in light of, and so it's like God is inviting us into this vision for human flourishing. And what that means is that sometimes that's going to require this kind of picture of, um, I guess the boundaries and the the justice points. And at other times it's going to look different. Like is, is the goal as simple as saying like, you know, the common good or um, I, I don't know if that even makes sense. Yeah, I think I think Ryan, what that that phrase you use, human flourishing. I think that's a really that's a really good way to think think about it, um, because I think the alternate the alternative in terms of injustice is actually injustice is really corrosive. It's corrosive to us as people. It's corrosive when it's existing in our families, in our you know people groups, societies, and we see that. We see that in ourselves. Um, I think Reese mentioned it earlier. You know, I'm holding on to this thing. Um, you know, it just you're not you're not right in yourself. You're preoccupied with it. You know, it's making you feel sick and anxious when you've been the subject of injustice. And then at a bigger level, we see people groups who have suffered injustice for years, if not generations. How corrosive it is to their identity and how they are able to function within our society. So I think that's that's why that I think that human flourishing that you've talked about is is a really good way of looking at, at it. And then I guess the question is well how do how do we get there? Um and um yeah, I mean I think there's there's the sort of harsher visions of justice in the Bible, but then on the flip side, you've got those other visions, the um, the kind of restorative, um, the grace, forgiveness type visions. You've got, you know, in the Old Testament, Joseph, when he's, you know, he's been basically left for dead by his brothers. Years later, they turn up in Egypt. And, you know, the retributive dash your infants on the rocks model would be, I will stuff you. Um, you know, I'm going to use my power to, you know, do whatever I like. But no, it's that that forgiveness, that restoration, which enables the story to continue and the community to flourish. Um, and then, of course, that goes all the way through to to Jesus um, on the cross. You know, Father, forgive them; they don't know what they do. 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, for me, in my own life and in my own experiences, the part, the parts of my life that resonate that, oh, actually God's working there are the parts where there's been restoration, forgiveness, newness. Um, and that sort of gives me the sense that whilst there's a, a range of different visions in the Bible, um, God's spirit is nudging us always, nudging us away from retribution, standing on your rights, using power, using control, and nudging us towards, well, you know, forgiveness, grace, restoration, you know, offering offering ways that will enable people to reintegrate themselves into our community so that we can all walk on and continue the story. It, it's it seems quite clear so, yeah. that Jesus offers offers like a different um, approach to or a different vision of what justice is than maybe um, hasn't always been in society, and we probably still wrestle with it today. And you've mentioned some great case studies of how he's like um, it's the woman caught in adultery, and there's Jesus on the cross, and and a whole bunch of that type of stuff. But we don't have like a rule book. <laughs> we don't almost don't Jesus have a revised law yeah. of how to approach yeah. uh, issues of justice and mercy and judgment in in this day and age. I mean, I think that might be really helpful. But I suppose um, in another sense, maybe we do. Maybe it's those things that you're mentioning in terms of like openness and uh, grace. And um, I mean, terms like grace and mercy are very easy to put out and very hard to put into action, aren't they? It's very hard to be merciful mm-hmm. to someone who's um, who's really done you some serious harm or has done there's some big wrongs going on you know well we were saying before you know it's with things like justice right we all want justice for the things against us but none of us want justice against against us you know yeah we want mercy and um i feel like it's probably similar to a many many months back we talked with brian harris and he was talking about this the call to be improvising our faith and learning on the fly and doing our very best to respond in the play that's kind of already been demonstrated by Jesus. And I feel like, mm. like you said, Reese, there's no, there's no standard textbook of how to approach this specific situation, but Jesus obviously does give us a framework and some models to kind of play our lives into. And I know, um, Richard, you've done some work in John 8 with that example of the, the woman caught in adultery. Can you kind of just... I guess share with us what you what you observe even in and through that passage. You know some of the models of of yeah dealing with with justice and with mercy and with grace. Like how does Jesus go about it? Yeah, I mean it's interesting. Like I think we all have this uh, often when we're we're grappling with issues in our faith of oh well, wouldn't it be great if there was just an updated rule book? But I guess the question is, well, what would we do with that? Uh, um. And I think that's, I don't know, the sense I have is that's why we move away from, from, well, particularly in, in the way Jesus kind of moves the story forward is he picks up on a lot more of the, the grace, forgiveness, restoration side of things. Um, because I think the the reality is that the human impulse is, oh, well, if you give us a set of rules, we know who's out and who's in. 
we know who's in power and, um, you know, and then we just then set up a structure for more, for a different set of people to be oppressed, basically. So I think that's why it is that dynamic improvisation. Um, and I guess John, John Ates, I think, a real good focused example to think about. So it's the woman caught in adultery, um, basic pricey, you know, the the Pharisees are out to trap Jesus. Um, they haul this woman um, in front of him, in front of a group of people who has apparently been caught in adultery. Um, and basically they they put it to him, well, you know, what are we going to do? Um, and really it's just a setup. Like um, I think the, the, the historical evidence is that you know, the Jews weren't going around stoning women left, right and centre at this time in their history. And the most obvious example of that's Mary. Because when Joseph finds out that she's pregnant and he doesn't know who the dad is, he's not like, well, let's get everyone together. Um, so, but it is it is the setup to, um, as we talked about, sort of justice or retrib- I think retribution is probably a better way of putting it. You know, the are we going to strictly follow the law which says retribution, which says, you know, stone her, um, which I think the Pharisees by this stage are, have got the sense that, well, that's not really that's not really Jesus' way of doing things. Or is he going to do what we think he's going to do and say, oh, let her go, come on, forgive her, you know, sweetness and light. And they can say, aha, you know, you're throwing out the, the law of Moses, Don't you don't respect that. So it's a real setup. And it's the real tension of those two things we've started talking about, Ryan, of, you know, justice, mercy, retribution, letting people off the hook. How do we resolve this? And um, Jesus sort of hovers above and rises above the tension and simply says, well, okay, if you haven't sinned, have crap, you know. He who he who's without sin cast the first stone. Um, and everyone... I mean, it's it's probably one of the more famous uh, questions of Jesus in, in Scripture and um, something that's often thrown around when people are feeling judged particularly. Um, and, you know, you know, the story, everyone shrugs their shoulders and walks away and Jesus wanders over and is like, oh, where did they go? Um, and says, look, you know, go now, sin no more. Um, and so that's... I think quite a quite a picture of um, Jesus not choosing. Oh well, we just let people off. We just kind of go the soft option, you know, do what you like. But we're not going to go down and you know slam people and stone them and kill them and punish them. Um, we choose the path that restores people to community that gives people an opportunity to move on from their mistakes um, and be made new. And he kind of does that for everyone. Um, he, particularly for the woman, he says, well, okay, you've got a pathway here to reintegrate into the community. If you've made a mistake, if you've been, you know, in someone else's tent or whatever, you know, pick yourself up move forward, um, these people aren't going to judge you anymore. 
But I think also for everyone else who's there who kind of shrugs their shoulders, it's sort of actually, yeah, you know, we've, there's, there's a humility in the people who are there, which I actually think is something we don't always appreciate in the story that, and that's something that I think I would, I take on board is like, actually, there's a lot of times where you do need to show humility and be like, oh, actually, I, I've approached this the wrong way. I've got on this bandwagon of, of being right and all that sort of thing. And I haven't actually thought about, well, it's what's going to help. Again, we come back to it. What's going to help this person flourish. Um, so that's, I think, a, a bit of a snapshot of, of how Jesus deals with this retribution, mercy, justice, mercy thing. And I think part of it is, is what he's about is, is giving people agency and giving people the ability to kind of make their own path and and bring about that restoration. So he's not saying, well, you know, do nothing um, and you can just, you know, I'll let you go. Um, he's not saying I'm going to punish you. He's saying, well, you know, you've got an opportunity here. You people in the community have an opportunity to forgive and reinfold someone and the, the person has an opportunity to um, see restoration having been given that opportunity. I feel like, I mean, that, that question that you, you kind of paused on there is just like, it's incredible, right? Like, and I guess the reality that Jesus was really the only person that could have actually thrown a stone and chose not to. And um, I guess it, even just wrestling with that, and and maybe a bit of a, a Christian identity question to, for whatever reason, I feel like so often as as Jesus followers, we have assumed the position of stone throwers or, or of justice bringers, um, as opposed to the ones who drop the stones because we <laughs> aren't first without sin, and almost like you said, invite people into reconciliation and, and, and community and, and transformation. Uh, like, it, it, I, why, is, why is it that we feel this need and desire to be the ones who bring about justice? So if it, it's in, um, or the justice that we're talking about maybe looks like retribution, not the mercy kind of and grace kind of justice. Like why is it that we seem so fixated on holding to our ideals and our um, set rules, even to the point of people being excluded and left out and, and not brought into forgiveness or reconciliation? Like is that just is that just part of our humanity that 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 wants to bring about this kind of retribution? Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's it's something I think we all, particularly in the the church, and as the church moves into, you know, deep into the twenty first century, and it's something we all need to to grapple with as people of faith. I think of, okay, well, well why have why have we so often been the ones who aren't merciful, and why is that often a why is there the sort of widespread perception that actually Christians are the really judgy ones? Um, and I think that's something, something we all need to, to grapple with and work through and try and understand. I mean, for my part, I, I can often just think that it's, um, it's probably because the, the church and church communities have 
certainly basically since the time of the Roman Empire been in the position of ascendancy within culture and within society. Um, so, and that's the real challenge with the Bible is the Bible's written by the outsiders, um, the story of the Jewish people who are the, the so often the oppressed people there under the thumb of the empire. Very early on, the church and Christianity, you know, grabs a seat at the table um, and we then see actually so often um, we slip into that that human temptation to be, well, I'm in power, so we're going to do things my way. And um, these are the rules. Um, so I guess the, the church for so long set the agenda of how things were to be and who was in and who was out and what the rules were. And that's not to say that that's all bad and we need to throw that out because there's so much of modern society that is um, formed on the very best traditions of um, the Christian heritage of the West. Um, but I think we also need to, you know, there's some things we all need to unlearn about about that moving forward. And I, I sort of, maybe there's something in that for us because, I mean, as as particularly in the West, as Christians become, I guess, more of a minority, the church becomes less of an agenda setter, um, will become more, I guess, graceful, open people, um, less about, okay, are you following the rules or whatever, more a, a community where there's belonging um, and an opportunity to, to grow. But it's a good question. Um, and I think it's, um, as I said, I think it's something it's it's worth worth thinking about. And and rather than saying, oh, people think that about the church, they're wrong. Actually, thinking, well, why did why do they think that? What? How have we fallen back into the 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 position of power? Because one thing that justice does when it's working well and putting things right is that it holds power in check speaks truth to power. Everybody in here that's on the verge of a breakthrough, give God a rain dance right now.